Welcome everybody, Chris Smith speaking, Head of Sales for Smart Generation at Smartest Energy. I'm joined today by... Tom Patney, Head of Pricing here at Smartest Energy. Thank you, Tom. Um, thanks for joining, joining me today. Um, so today, the plan is to do a Bazoos podcast. A number of reasons that we wanted to cover this. I think, you know, certainly from our historical customer base, um, with a lot of generation in the North of Scotland, Bazoos and the changing... Um, to a cost to become a big issue and massively impacting on our generators incomes. So what we're going to do today, uh, myself and Tom are going to cover a few key areas, um, really to say what is Bazoos, uh, look at historical and current levels of Bazoos, talk around Bazoos flipping, um, which is a subject matter we've covered a lot on the quarterly webinars, and then really look at the future outlook for Bazoos. So I think let's kick off on that vine. So I will hand over to Tom. To really just give us a bit of a heads up on what Bazoos is as a as a charge. Yeah, sure. So Bazoos or, or balancing service use of system charge is the charge that covers the costs for National Grid to balance the system. So essentially, they're making sure that for every half hour in the day, supply and demand match both for the, the whole system and also in a different region. So making sure that supply and demand in Scotland match in London, um, etc. And so what they're doing. Is taking actions both before and continuously throughout the day to make sure these two supply and demand match. That could be through things like the balancing mechanism, pre-gate closure trades, which essentially sort of like wholesale trades they're doing, um, or through sort of procuring other ancillary services to allow them to to, to balance this system. So I suppose probably probably a good idea to probably just dig a bit into when you when you talk about continuous action. Like, yeah, obviously everyone recognises electricity is a a 24/7 thing. It, you know, it's constantly there's a need to balance the system. Or we have what happened um, on August 9th, where we effectively bits of the system you know, drop off the network and people lose supply. So probably be good to get a bit of context on, you know, what are they doing? Are they turning plant on? Are they turning supply customers off? Yeah, you know, how are they? You know, what what physical things are they doing to kind of balance the system? I mean, they're doing everything you said there, really. So, so yeah, they're they're turning up generators. So they're they're asking, say, a gas plant to start generating more if there's not enough um, generation to meet demand. Increasingly now, with more um, DSR demand side response on the system, they're also trying to take actions on the um, on the demand side. So you've got people with sort of things like fridges that they can turn off in, in on industrial sites for a period of time to to reduce demand rather than having to turn up generation. Um, and they're also turning down generation, so they're, they're taking actions to tell a, a gas generator to turn down or turn off a wind farm. Um, so they're taking all those sort of actions, and, and that's all happening all the time. But they're also taking actions beforehand. So they're doing things uh, like procuring stuff called Black Star, which is some uh, contracts to allow them to restart the system if things go down. Um, they're also keeping a certain amount of generation back in reserve. I think what happened on August the, the 9th was there wasn't quite enough generation in reserve to meet the event in that, that particular case. But they, they are constantly making these decisions and, and that's what really is driving this cost of the source is that all of this action they take has a cost and therefore that has to be charged back to the industry. I guess that charge, the charging back thing, Tom, is pretty important like, you know, for our supply customers historically. But now we're looking at um, generators as well having to pay a charge and potentially with regulatory change in the future having to pay a charge for everyone going forward. I guess the question really is like, how how big could that charge be? You know, is, there, is there a is there an infinite number if it if it you know, the national grid has to turn on every diesel asset in the country to keep the lights on? Could it just go to a 
you know, an endless number? Really? It's probably an impossible question, to be honest, but um, maybe to give some sort of context of what's happened in the last couple of years is, is we've seen some pretty big increases. So in 2017-18, for example, this cost the industry about 1.2 billion or um, about £2.50 per megawatt hour on average. In 2018-19, so just a year later, that had risen to 1.4 billion or £3 per megawatt on average. So that's, that's a pretty substantial change year on year. Now we're expecting a pretty similar number this year, sort of around three pound a megawatt hour again, 1.4 billion. So it's not always up an upward trajectory, but historically it has been. We're you know, doing things to try and control this. Everything, seeing things like the um, HVDC bootstrap coming on, that they're, they're taking action to try and control this cost. But there's all you know, with with more wind coming onto the system, there is always going to be some upward pressure. Um, thing you mentioned around you know some of the changes potentially coming up with this becoming potentially a charge for, for generators obviously that would actually help spread the cost from a supply customer point of view over a bigger bigger charging base but obviously has a, a very big impact on those generators that need to need to then start contributing rather than being paid it so Tom I guess there's two scenarios we're looking at the moment the Bazios could either become a charge for all generators so it'd be solar wind um, I think probably point the make out it, it is a charge at the moment for transmission connected assets there's only embedded yeah. community that avoid that charge um, or it could be a zero cost so either way I think the school of thought is it's gonna it's gonna change I guess the probably the point is probably worth a bit more of investigation or discussion around is that it does change on a half value basis and it is more what we see is but more prone to high wind particularly we have a higher bazeos charge on generation yeah I mean it, it can move significantly from from each half hour to another I had a quick look and last year for example the lowest half hour we had was was negative one pound 40 the highest was 2667 there's not many other costs where we see um, obviously outside the wholesale cost that sort of variation so it, it is easily one of the most volatile costs for our, for our customers um, and I think as you mentioned with, with wind is one of the key things um, that is often driving this volatility and, and something known as, as constraint costs. So obviously National Grid are trying to balance the total amount of supply and demand on the system, but also there's a finite amount of cables to get power um, flowing from one part of the country to another. And what we often see is, is very high demand and low generation in the southeast and London in particular. And the opposite um, in Scotland and in particular the north of Scotland where there is a substantial amount of, of generation, mostly wind generation now and relatively low demand. And in reality, there's not enough cable to get that generation in North Scotland down to the, the south of the country. And so National Grid basically has to balance the system by turning off those generators and turning up some generator in, in the southeast or, or the south. Um, and if you look at the sort of volatility in the source, that's often what's driving it is, is those costs because it's they're paying doubly. Normally you would pay um, a generator to turn up and a generator would pay back to turn down. But because wind farms are, are getting sort of rock subsidies, it's costing National Grid. Um, they're essentially paying a negative amount to turn this generation down. So it, it, they pay both to turn up in the southeast and to turn down in the um, in, in the north of Scotland. So pretty substantial cost for, for customers. So, Tom, that's just opened a whole raft of things that I want to sort of cover, cover now. So that's, that's, no, 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 it's really, that's really good. That's, that's good, really good. So I, I guess, I suppose the, the 2667, I think we're not trying to be alarmist to customers and generators out there. What's... No, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a it's particularly high half hour and, and very rarely do they, 
they reach um, those sort of levels. And it's not always you know, when you'd expect these high costs coming across as well. I was having a quick look at the highest months last year and they were September and October in 4.45 and 4.25 on average, whereas January and February are actually pretty low, sort of two pounds. So yes, there is this volatility um, going on, but you know, over a month, there's a lot less variability. And you know, interestingly, it's not always when you expect it. And I guess that's probably another interesting point about resources that we just don't know, do we? It's not, um, it's not really, you know, we kind of, we have an idea of what the market's doing and if there's going to be value in the BM and we certainly for our gas assets, we're looking to make decisions whether we place them in the BM market to get best value for them. But that 2667, we don't know until after the event. So it's not like a generator can switch off before that happens. No, I mean, it, it, it's not. It's just not really forecastable in in any any simple way. Um, you, it, it can be down to wind speeds. It could be that a certain cable goes off. You can have a generator tripping. You can have an event like that happened on the the ninth of August, which I think we can touch upon a bit. And these things we just can't forecast it, and that means the source essentially is a cost recovery mechanism. It's not there to try and or is not really sending any signals to the market that you can react to. Um, It'd be great if it did, because obviously with that variability, there would be sort of opportunities. But because it, it, we don't have any good way of predicting it, it, it becomes a, a difficult cost to manage. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I think that's that's my. It's not. Yeah, obviously I started my career on the supply side, so we've seen this bazoos come from a very small charge to a very bigger thing. So it's kind of it's it's uh, been hitting supply customers for a while in terms of the thirteen. I suppose the point to probably clarify is that. Not everyone pays this, so it, you know, we, we talk about transmission assets, and I think that's been a lot of the drivers being transmission assets feel that they have been unfairly penalised in the market. But certainly, ins connectors are another increasingly larger type of connection provide services UK which don't pay transmission. Uh, yeah, so interconnectors um, are one one example where that don't pay, and that's really down to legislation. It doesn't allow um, those to be charged balancing. Um, service charges and actually we're, we're quite unique within sort of the rest of the continent where where mostly um, the source or the source type costs are charged solely on on the demand side and not the generation side and that that has caused some issues where generation in that can import to the, to the UK is actually a competitive advantage over generation here and so what we've seen recently or towards the end of last year was was EDF energy um, raising a modification that, that doesn't directly um, look at this. It, they're not trying to charge interconnectors, but what they're trying to do is, is move to a SIM model to a lot of other European countries where generators wouldn't um, wouldn't pay, and that's transmission generators in particular wouldn't pay the source. Um, obviously, that that does mean that supply customers by default would pay a lot more. Um, because you're spreading that cost over a much smaller charging base. But then you'd also expect there to be movements in the wholesale price because generators would no longer need to recoup these for source costs. So although on the face of it, it looks like it could be an increase for, for customers if this was to come in, um, it's a lot more nuanced than that because it depends on what happens to the wholesale market. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I, I, I suppose you, you touched on August night, Dan. I think I'd really like to come to that later in the discussion. I think just um, you probably have to bear with me on this, my kind of fascination with negative power prices. I've been talking to the market about this for probably five, six years now. Certainly my former colleague, Lars, we got very excited about the concept of negative prices when we stood at conference and then mentioned that negative prices could be a thing. And I've seen it spoken at conferences recently where you know it's been a kind of very even poo-pooed that you'd have to pay for the electricity that you generate. But, but certainly, yes, Bazuos could you know, we could see greater negative prices as the, trans the transmission operator looks to turn assets down 
yeah and, and certainly as you sort of yeah you could you could see that happening happening more i mean it happens already when you know, your national grid essentially when it's negative national grid essentially getting an income because they're telling a, a gas generator that they'll pay them back to uh, that the gas generator will pay them to, to stop generating um, that sort of thing especially with more DSR on the system that's looking to optimize quite regularly and, and batteries and things like that coming on and are potentially operating through the BM there might be opportunity more opportunities for that um, and it would you know be a much cheaper way of managing the system whereas at the moment a lot of the costs involved are, are paying for example a, a wind farm to, to turn down and that's a very costly um, costly action for National Grid to take I, I think just for a couple of things I wanted to recover, I think flipping, I mentioned flipping in the introduction and flipping is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big bugbear for our generators. And I think one of the things that we've found as a company is not necessarily that easy to tell that flipping is going on and potentially you could be getting charged a, a cost for it, but you don't necessarily know that that's happening in your, 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 your cost, cost book. I think that's probably fair to say, Tom. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that's happening more and more, but it is, I guess probably still relatively new to the industry and a new way of looking at the source because traditionally um, the source has always just been cost for, for supplies and a, and a revenue for embedded generators and it really happens when there's too much generation in a particular GSP, too much embedded generation and that GSP exports rather than imports but there's, there's more generation than demand and it's it is very hard to forecast. It depends on, on wind speed, depends on demand, generation level in that, that area. Last year, for example, it happened about 40% of the time in North Scotland, a handful of times in, in, in South Scotland. Uh, but it's really hard to know what's going to happen with this, this going in, in, into the future because it really depends on how much new capacity comes online, but also things like batteries coming online that could help to control this. Um, and it is a, you know, is a, is a it's a complex situation because not only when we see this flipping happening, obviously the source becomes a, a cost for generators, but also because of these constraint costs that we talked about earlier, actually at times when North Scotland in particular flips, the source tends to be pretty high because it's times when we've got strong wind speeds and national grid are having to take expensive actions to manage it. So you know, with exporting in sort of 40% of the time, you would generally expect that still to end up being a revenue. But last year, actually, it was about 65 pence per megawatt cost on average. And that's because when it was when it was flipping, it was when the source was extremely high. I think just before we, we wrap up, I think just one final point from me on flipping is we know about North Scotland, we've been talking about it quite a while, but we are starting to see in the southwest that it, it could start occurring there, but we potentially haven't. I think it's happened a few times, but not nothing of the scale of North Scotland. Yeah, I mean, it's happened a few times in, in South Scotland, I think about 12 half hours in 2018-19, so certainly not enough to have any material impact. It's got close in the southwest. In the southwest, it's more solar than wind, um, but it hasn't hasn't happened there yet. You know, not the sort of thing, it's not going to suddenly go from no flipping to 40% like it is in North Scotland overnight, but it's the sort of thing that we're going to gradually see over the next year, potentially. So we've seen it happen a few times in, in the south of Scotland, I think about 12 half hours last year there or thereabouts it hasn't happened in the southwest yet but it's something that, that we've is on our radar we've seen um it get close and that's really more driven by embedded solar than wind and actually what we're, we're seeing is because of this sort of the impact of flipping and the the relationship with that with with high constraint costs is some of the peaks we're not 
we're, we're seeing in basalts aren't where we traditionally would have seen them. So in the past, basalts were typically very high, sort of over the, the peak of the winter where you've got really high demand, you're having to turn on quite expensive generation to, to meet that demand. Whereas now actually we're seeing it happening increasingly sort of maybe in, in the shoulder months at times where your you know, demand is, is high but not, not highest. Um, but that, that um, combination of high wind speeds and, and slightly lower demand are, are driving um, the peak. For example, last year, I think the, the highest month we saw was in September rather than sort of January, February. And that's something we expect to go forward. So if you look at the sort of forecast that National Grid do for the source, they see the peak of 2018-19 of across the August, September, October, which really is a change from what we've seen in the past. Yeah, cheers, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for your insight on this. I guess just as kind of a wrap up, um, yeah, Bazuos, I think we said in the start, is a it's a big, big area of focus. It's traditionally been a benefit of 2050, so kind of got lost in the mix on a lot of the financing and of, of renewable projects. But potentially this could become a big um, cost to projects. So I think it's something as smart as a business to be very much focused on, um, certainly from our quarterly revenues that we are going to be continuing to provide insights on, particularly as the proposed modifications sort of play their way out and have their various their ranges. So all I can say really is, A, I hope you found this useful. And just to say thank you for Tom. Thanks very much. And please, yeah, please sign up for the Informer and all our kind of regular releases. And we hope, yeah, we hope this is um, good content for yourselves moving forward. We will be covering this in greater detail in our quarterly webinar, so please sign up for that. Thank you.